Father's Day for some brings some emotions of disappointment for maybe the father in your life or your own family or maybe for missing a dad um, you used to have in your life. And for others, this day brings great joy. And for many people, kind of a, a mix of emotions. And it's a beautiful thing to come together, though, and for all of us together to have one thing in common, that we all have one good, good father our Heavenly Father, and we point our attention to Him today. So my name is Brian, and uh, just glad to be able to uh, preach to you this morning. And if you have your Bibles and want to just go ahead and flip them open to John 21, that's going to be our text uh, this morning. And I want to ask this question today. What is the manliest thing Peter ever did? You know, Peter would have been identified as a tough guy, kind of a macho guy, pretty rugged, lacked sensitivity oftentimes in life, kind of stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, ready to swing a sword to protect Jesus. But what is the manliest thing he ever did? Peter was a fisherman. It's kind of a manly job. But one day Jesus came and said, Peter, I want you to, to, to be a fisher of men. I can make you one if you follow me. And Peter did follow Jesus for three years, and Peter was often encouraged, often bewildered, often frustrated, often challenged for three years, and then there was that night before Jesus died. We call it the Last Supper. Peter with the other disciples, and Jesus says, you're going to betray me. Peter's like, no, not, not me. Jesus said, yeah, before the rooster crows, three times, you will have betrayed me. And Peter's like, no, that would never happen. And sure enough, just hours later, Peter has betrayed Jesus three times. People uh, denied Jesus. Jesus, people saying, hey, don't, don't you know, aren't you one of those people who follow Jesus? And Peter's denying, saying, no, 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 not me three times, and then the rooster crows, and he looks up, and his eyes lock with Jesus, who's being beaten and on trial. And Peter runs out into the night. Some of you have had a crash in life, a spiritual crash, and you've run into the darkness weeping like Peter did. And for many people, that crash defines their future and their eternity. I crashed, I blew it, I wept, I ran into the darkness, and I stayed there. But that is not the rest of Peter's story. Thank the Lord for that. And it doesn't have to be the rest of your story either. Thank the Lord for that. And John 21 gives us this different option. In John 21, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's come and visited the disciples twice, and then there's this third time. They're together, about seven of them, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, a couple others, and Peter says, hey, I know it's nighttime, but let's go fishing. They're like, all right. They get into the boat, and they go out, and all night long, they cast their nets fishing, and they catch a big, fat goose egg. Nothing. Not even a bite. And they're out there, and then as morning begins to hit, this figure appears on the beach. They're about 100 yards out, and they can't really make out who it is. 
But this person says, have you caught anything? And they're like, well, let's look. No, nothing. And this guy says, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And if it was me, that would kind of tick me off a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, all the fish are, like, right there instead of right here. But th- they do, you know, give them credit. And they're like, well, we can't catch any fewer than nothing. We might as well throw it over here. And they do, and immediately the net is so full of fish they can't even haul them all in. And I picture this scene where the disciples are laughing, they're shouting, they're yelling, and Peter goes nuts. He just jumps in the water and starts swimming. He realizes that's Jesus over there. And now I picture the disciples are laughing at all of the fish, and they're laughing at Peter, who's uh, trying to pull a Michael Phelps and beat them back to the shore. Everyone's excited. Peter swims all the way up to the shore, and he sees Jesus. Jesus already has a fire going. The coals are already hot. He's been there for a while. He already has fish and bread. Does that remind you of anything? Probably remind Peter of some things. Jesus had used fish and bread before to feed a lot more than just the disciples. And there Jesus is greeting Peter. Breakfast is served. When Jesus had asked them, hey, how's it going out there? There might have been a little more to that question than just the fishing. Some of you have had this crash in life, and so you returned to your old life. And Jesus might be asking you this morning, hey, how's that going for you? How is returning to your old life going? Is it, is it all that you thought it would be? Because Jesus may be gently reminding the disciples here, I called you to be fishers of men. So yeah, fish if you want to, catch some fish to feed your hungry stomachs. But that's not your main job anymore. And let me remind you, your main job is not uh, to work at the bank or to teach at the school or to, to volunteer coach. Those are all worthy things to do. But your main job is to be a fisher of men, to help souls come to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants to remind you of that. So they... The rest of the disciples finally get to the shore with all of these fish in their net, and they're afraid the nets are going to tear, and they, they, they pull them up. And I love that somebody actually took the time to count all the fish. Why would you do that? Only if you're interested in setting a world record, right? They're like, this is going to get in Guinness. But one of them counts, and I picture him being like, 151, <laughs> look at this, 152, 153. 153 fish. That that is a world record. We just caught them right here. It happened. And so they're laughing. They're having this great time. They can't believe that Jesus has provided for them in this way. And yet there's something still very mysterious about Jesus. that The Bible doesn't really explain a lot how Jesus looked after the resurrection. But there's something a little mysterious. And they're still like, is that Jesus? Yeah, it's Jesus. Is that Jesus? Yeah, it is Jesus. We know it's Jesus. But there's this little confusion in their mind because they're, they're still kind of reeling from all of the things that have happened uh, in, their, in their past month or so. And so there they come, all of these fish, and they have breakfast with Jesus. And let me just pause and make one more quick little devotional thought. Maybe the greatest thing you could do to change your life this week is to start having breakfast with Jesus. What a better way 
to start your day than to sit down and have breakfast with Jesus. And you just take some time to read his words to you and to listen to him. Doesn't breakfast with Jesus sound like a good thing in your life? But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus then says, hey, Peter, let's, let's talk. And they have a conversation that's one for the ages. One many people have talked about, one that Peter would certainly remember the rest of his life. And so I want to just read this encounter with you. John chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you catch that he calls him Simon? That was his old name. That might have stung just a little bit for Peter. He says, do you love me more than these? And we're not really sure if Jesus is talking about the other disciples. That's what we assume. Maybe he pointed to the fish. Who are you going to serve here? We're not quite sure. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, all right, and then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Would you pray with me? God, I know without a shadow of a doubt there are some people listening right now who have crashed and they're still feeling like they're in the darkness. And I also know that many of us right now have a friend, a loved one, a coworker, a neighbor, family member, and we know that they've crashed. They've crashed really hard spiritually. And we see them in the darkness and we don't know what to do. So would you give us wisdom and courage from your words today? From your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really do just want to talk about these two angles today. I want to speak to the person who feels like they've crashed and they're in the darkness, and I want to speak to those of you who right now are concerned about someone who has crashed and is living in the darkness and you're not sure what to do. I want to just begin there. We all know people uh, who we feel like, man, they have stumbled. They need restored, they need reconciled, and I'm not sure what to do. Jesus gives us a pretty beautiful little blueprint right here. And it's not fancy, it's not complicated, it's really simple, and I just want to point these things out to you. The first thing is that I think that we need to do is to pray for a miracle. In the 153 fish, that was not the biggest miracle that happened in Peter's life that day. It's a way bigger miracle to see someone's heart restored. Let's not ever believe that we can restore someone's heart by our own wisdom. God is in the business of restoring hearts. 
So we begin with praying. Pray for your friend, your family member who has fallen, who's wandering in the darkness right now. Pray for a miracle. Number two, go find them. Don't you love that Jesus went and he found them? He's like, where would those guys be? Ah, I think I know where they might be. And he goes, and he's got a fire going with hot coals, so he's just been hanging out waiting for him to finally come in. Number three, and let me go back to number two for a second. If you have a friend or a family member who's in the darkness, they probably won't come find you on their own. I wish they would. You wish they would. But you need to go find them. Because you know this, when we have fallen, when we're kind of an emotional wreck, a spiritual wreck, we don't think real clearly, do we? We need someone to come turn a flashlight on for us. And I know that that person may turn the boat around and paddle away from you. The disciples could have done that. Peter could have swam the other direction. But at least go and give them the opportunity so that when they are ready to come up to shore, you're there ready for them. Go find them. Number three, affirm your love and God's love for them. This might even include making breakfast. Somehow you need to let people know, I still love you. Yes, you wounded me, or you wounded them, or I know that you completely just failed in your relationship with God, and I know that you're, you're in this moment of darkness, but I want you to know that God still loves you, and I care for you as well. We have to reaffirm that because Satan is whispering something very different to them. And number four, ask them to follow Jesus. Like, give them an invitation to say, hey, yeah, you blew it. Yeah, you fell down, you crashed, you walked away, however you want to say it. But because God still loves you, do you love God? Do you want to recommit your walk to following Jesus? Because he would love for you to do that. I would love for you to do that. I would love to help you. Jesus says to Peter, I still want you to shepherd my people, to feed my lambs. I still have a job for you. Do you want to follow me? He gave Peter the choice, and Peter was able to voice that. Three times, Peter had denied Jesus. Three times. So it must have hurt when Jesus that third time said, Peter, do you still love me? Maybe Peter was thinking, oh, man, he knows. He knows I denied him all three times. And so he's asking me three times, do you love me? And Jesus says, I still have work for you to do. There's still a purpose for your life. You feel like you've fallen. You feel like you're in the darkness. But I want you to know there's still a job for you on this planet. And I have it in mind. And I will take you there. And I will guide you. So that's angle one. I hope that maybe these four quick little steps that Jesus gives us will help you as you care for other people. But I, I want to just kind of turn the corner and spend the rest of our time just talking to you and you're saying, I'm the one who feels like I'm in the darkness. I'm the one who I feel like I've fallen. And while it was all Jesus who restored Peter, Peter did a few things that allowed Jesus and said yes to Jesus wanting to restore him. And I think it's just worth pointing these out. The first thing we see that Peter did, he rejected isolation. It is so easy, you know this, when you mess up, when you blow it, to just go be by yourself. We don't like to be around other people right then. We go off and we just 
pity ourselves and we make up little stories in our mind and we just pout and we're depressed and we just get by ourselves and it's the worst thing that we could do, yet we're so inclined to do so. Do you remember where we find Peter after he's denied Jesus and run off? Well, the next thing we see is Peter's with the other disciples. They're locked in a room and they're scared. It may not be the most courageous thing ever, but at least he's with those people. I mean, he could have pulled a Judas, could have just ended his life or run away and never come back. But at least he went to the people who loved him and cared for him. And if you are reeling, go to the people who love you. They still love you. They may be frustrated or wounded, but they still love you, so go to them. Jesus so appears to Peter and appears to Peter with Thomas a second time, and then this is just the third time. But at least Peter is with these people who care for him. And the second thing is run or swim to Jesus. Don't wait. I've heard people tell me, like, I'm kind of wounded right now, and I just kind of need to get stuff sorted out in my own mind before I kind of come back to God. Don't. You won't get stuff sorted out in your own mind without God. People have been trying that for thousands of years, and it just doesn't work. The only way we can sort stuff out in our mind is to say, God, sort stuff out in my mind. Heal what is broken. Correct what is wrong. But go to Jesus. Don't wait to get everything polished up in your life. Go to Jesus. Don't avoid the church. Go to your community. Go to the people who care for you. And God cares for you more than anybody. So go right to Jesus. He's your only source for help. Number three, this is tough. Accept correction and forgiveness. Accept correction and forgiveness. Jesus will forgive and forget. He will. But let's not skip the part about where Jesus says, Peter, let's talk about your sin. And I think that's why we run away sometimes, because we don't want to deal with reality. We don't want to deal with our sin. We don't want to deal with our choices. And it's painful. So instead, like somebody with a wound on their arm that's going to lead to an infection, and they just run away, and they're like, no, nobody touch it. Just let it be. Ah, you need somebody to look at that. It might hurt a little bit when the doctor looks at it and prods and tries to patch it up. It may hurt, but that's the only way we heal. And so with your sin, don't try to hide it from Jesus. Go to him and say, Jesus, let's talk about this. I confess I sinned. I confess I blew it. And with your community of believers, with people who care for you and love the Lord, help me walk with the Lord now. Help me come up with uh, wiser ways to live my life. Get some accountability, but deal with your sin. And Jesus says, I will remove it as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. And the next time that temptation comes, you just soak in God's grace has already forgiven you. And you want to follow a God like that, not return to your old way of life. So accept the correction and the forgiveness. And for some of you, it is hard to forgive yourself. You forgive other people pretty quickly, but man, you just can't forgive yourself. And God says, my death on the cross, Peter, was big enough for you. And it was big enough for you as well.
to remove your sins, to pay for your sins. And the fourth thing is to recommit to following Jesus. He's the one you want to follow. You know, Satan, he's always whispering and trying to remind you of your sins. He knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows all of your sins, but he calls you by your name. Simon, follow me. Come back to me. I know the stuff you did. I was, I was just a couple hundred feet away. I looked up and I saw you. I saw you tell those people you did not know who I was. I saw you deny me, and I would be lying to you if I had told you that it did not hurt. It hurt deep. But I forgive you. I know your sins, but I know your name. And I created you, and I love you, and I care for you, and I want you back with me. If you were in your Bible and just turned a couple pages over, you would read of Peter preaching one of the most important sermons in the history of the world. It's really kind of the first Christian sermon where Peter uh, calls to these thousands of people and tells them the story of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. And the people are cut to the heart and they said, what should we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And thousands of people did right then and thousands of people did days later. And still today, thousands of people are saying yes and they're following Peter's instructions right there. God used Peter's life in an amazing way. He had plenty of ups and downs. You know, we've talked enough about Peter even in the last few weeks in the Oneness series. God kind of had to hit him over the head with some stuff. But eventually Peter got it. And God was gracious with Peter many times. And then Peter changed the world. And God can use broken people like you and me as well. The Bible tells us to put childish things behind us. What was the manliest thing Peter ever did? When David was about to die, he calls his son Solomon over. He says, Solomon, I want to tell you something. The most important thing I can tell you is this. 1 Kings chapter 2 records when David says to Solomon, Solomon, be strong. Act like a man. Don't act like a boy. Don't act like a kid. Act like a man. What does that mean? And observe what the Lord your God requires. The manliest thing Peter ever did was say yes to Jesus and follow him and submit and fall on his knees and do the stuff that our culture says isn't very manly. Our culture says the manly stuff is to dominate and to be powerful. And God says, no, the manliest thing that you can do is submit your life to Jesus because he cares for you. And he loves you. For Peter, that manliness, godly manliness, led him to follow Jesus. And Jesus did lots of work in his life. And at the end of his life, Jesus' words here kind of hint at it. And history tells us that Peter, for his faith, was crucified. But he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, so flip me upside down. And history tells us he was crucified upside down for his faith. That's a pretty manly guy. 
who says, I will say yes to Jesus no matter what. Some of you have come this morning and you're feeling like you're in the darkness. You've run out and you feel ashamed. And Jesus has some words for you. Jesus comes and says, I want to have breakfast with you. I I want you to come back to me, swim to shore. I'm right here waiting for you, and I still have business for you to do in this life. So don't just run out. Don't let your life be defined by your crash. Don't let your life be defined by your fall from grace. Let your life be defined by the grace after the fall. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. And God will take your wounds, your brokenness, your sin, and he'll say, I love you and I'm reconciling you to me. So you come after me. You follow me. You feed my sheep. You be part of this work. You get yourself with me and I'll get you together. But do not just keep hanging out in the darkness. Come back to me this morning. If you have been in the darkness, we would love to help you find the light of Jesus. And during this next song, if you'd like to even come to the front row, some folks will be up here will be glad to pray with you and visit with you. If on your communication card you just want to write down that you want to study with somebody this week, we'd be glad to study with you and talk with you, maybe pray with you uh, about a friend you have who's been kind of living in the darkness. But today, church, let's not give up on God's grace for us, and let's not give up on his grace for our friends and our family. Amen? Let's not give up. God's grace is enough for us. Would you stand up? Let me pray with us. God, we, um, we all know to some extent what it's like to run into the darkness knowing that we've blown it. And God, we, um, we deserve to have to stay in the darkness. We deserve to never get to come back to you. And yet, you do what we don't deserve. You say, come back to me. I love you. I died for you. I care for you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for your life. Your life matters. You matter to me. You matter to these people. God, I pray for the person here who today needs to walk out of the dark and into your light. I pray they would. I pray for the person here who has friends and family in the dark. And maybe they've been avoiding them because they don't know what to say. Maybe they've lacked the courage. I pray that today a a new page would be turned where they go and, and they pray and they offer words where you speak through them words of life, I pray that you prepare that person's heart to hear from them so that when that person opens their mouth, their hearts have already been prepared to listen. We pray that lots of people would swim back to shore today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.